What's the droid? HK88? Is that it? Uh, in the murder bot? Well, HK47. 47, right. There's also IG88. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Creation Forge in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 135 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're returning to Eberron to talk about playing Warforged. But first the rogue traders march into the desert in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Lord of Blades leads his people into a new age, mainly consisting of swords and blood in the character Creation Forge. So before we get to that, we have some uh, exciting news in the world of fan fiction. Yeah. Um, as we are recording this, Shaggy from the All Guardsmen Party is updating finally for the first time since I think like July of last year. Yeah. So a few months off, I guess. Uh, yeah, but we're finally getting updates on uh, what happens with the sorceress. And okay, it's not too many spoilers, but oh, hang on, no um, spoilers. the gang is in trouble. Um, and they're dealing with uh, incompetence in the Inquisition, go figure uh, and they're gonna pull together some um, hopefully non-warpy bull- uh to pull their asses out of the fire. Right, so the All Guardsman Party is a uh, 40k kind of campaign recap for a group that is playing Dark Heresy, uh, but uh, every character they have is a member of the same squad of Imperial Guardsmen or the same company of Imperial Guardsmen uh, that survived battle with orcs and are now pressed into the Inquisition service. Yeah, instead of your typical sort of grimdark uh, game, these characters understand that, you know, the entire universe is out to kill them and they'd rather not get killed. So, yeah, you've got giant epaulets and pauldrons, I suppose, but that's not a, not going to keep a bolter out of your face. How about perimeter security? Right, <laughs> and debt packs. <laughs> so many dead packs. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Warhammer 40k, uh, it is time to move on to our own campaign, the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. Uh, yeah. Where are we, Shane? Uh, I'm pretty sure we are also equally screwed. You are. So the rogue traders of the His Enduring Light are alongside a couple hundred of their most decorated armsmen are on the surface of the dead world, Malajact. Hey, we figured out why it's a dead world. Yeah. Why is that? Um, it got exterminatist because the uh, Dark Angels were trying to kill the last vestiges of the Fallen. The A Space Marine chapter was trying to get rid of traitor Space Marines. And uh, and who was on this planet, Malajact, uh, at that point when it got exterminatist? Someone with the ominous name Cypher. Lord, Lord Cypher, yeah? Yeah, who had a whole book dedicated to them that you dragged halfway across the galaxy. Well, not intentionally. <laughs> We thought it was treasure. Nope, just a dumb book. Uh, yeah, so what's left on the planet is uh, is a shell of its former self, but it is just desert wastelands on the surface and a uh, an atmosphere consisting of uh, dull sunlight, uh, thick haze, and brutal glass storms, uh, which make it rather unappealing for, you know, humans. Fortunately, uh, we're armsmen, so nobody cares what, uh, if we live or die. Yeah, you're you're in service of the Inquisition now. You're expendable. 
So the Inquisition has decided to uh, split your party. So if you recall, uh, you're on the surface alongside Lord Captain Duhan Roth, a rival rogue trader, and some of his armsmen. And you have agreed to split your forces and search for uh, Cypher's ancient obsidian fortress to the east while the rest of the contingent heads west. Uh, And you have a secret. Yeah, our secret is that we kind of know where we're going. Uh, As we were plummeting through the glass storms in our big dumb drop pod, a couple of us, Trix and Echo, I believe, spied a, a... dark rocky outcropping that may have been some sort of fortress um, out of the corner of their eye and then it was gone when they looked again but we're pretty sure that that was cypher's old uh hideout yeah on second glance it sure seems to match the description the place that uh he keeps holing up in and then it gets destroyed or he gets killed and then he shows up again like a century later right you are also joined by uh, an interrogator chaplain who is hoping to track down Cypher and redeem him. Uh, meanwhile, the Inquisitor is looking for some information about how he's doing this, right? Trying to understand how is this possible. Um, so whoever gets there first is likely to be happy. Uh, and fortunately for you, sure seems like you're going to get there first, which might give you a little bit of leverage. Yeah, into not getting bolters in the back of our skulls once this is all over. Exactly. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you've got some uh, some challenges on your way there, don't you? Um, yeah, this planet sucks. Um, the wind is awful because, you know, it's full of glass. So it's like marching in uh, an asbestos storm. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, you don't even get more than a day out before this starts to cause problems. The dust is getting everywhere, and it's uh, really causing your equipment to fail. Like, you you already knew you had to be in survival suits to march for any length of time, but your filters keep clogging. You're constantly having to stop the column, clear filters. Um, your weapons themselves are kind of the, the las guns are gumming up with the dust, so they're not even really at full effectiveness. Yeah, the box still isn't even working. You know, like uh, short-range walkie-talkies are having a problem connecting. So after three days of this, uh, I'm surprised we lasted three days, uh, the men are not particularly happy. Morale is faltering, and some mutterings begin to spread through the column, which, I mean, usually that means I should be I should be shooting someone, right, to improve morale. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you can't kill everybody. <laughs> You'd have no men to lead. I keep forgetting that. What are some of the rumors that are spreading through the ranks? Well, they're calling it a bad rock, which, as a former member of the Imperial Navy, that, that basically means it's um, it's an unlucky place to be. Um, you land on a bad rock, you don't get off it. Right. They're also having these visions and nightmares uh, of, of these vivid view of dried skulls in a dusty valley with their tops chopped off. Yeah, everyone's nerves are short, and there are frequent false alarms, which is frustrating everyone, because we've all got to stop, we've got to make sure that, you know, horrible abominations from the desert aren't swooping down to kill us all, or digging up from the ground, or who knows what. Yeah, it's or, like... You know, you, random dark angels. Right, you, you march a few hundred meters, you have a false contact, you have to clear your perimeter, like, then get everybody back into marching formation. Yeah, it's just, it's it's an exhausting way to move across the desert. Yeah, four days in, even those of us who are, you know, PCs are starting to get bothered by what's going on here. 
uh, our Psyker Flare, you know, he's using Cynicians because actually he's blind. He can't see without using uh, the warp. Right. Uh, it's starting to feel kind of dull. Uh, Trank, who's, you know, usually hard bitten um, and, you know, doesn't get bothered by mundane stuff like this, uh, is also starting to get uh, tired out and is getting a little bit paranoid. Trix just wants to, you know, keep doing a forced march without any kind of resting until we get to wherever the hell we're going. Yeah, Trix is like, look, we just have to get through this. We just have to get through this. We just have to get through this as fast as possible. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. We're going to die. It's not wrong. It's yeah. a bad rock. <laughs> I, I, we're all going to die. It, it's an approach. <laughs> <laughs> so you continue marching into the wind under this beating sun. You know, every breath is ragged. Every step is a struggle. And then finally... Finally, at the end of the fourth day, the scouts report back that there is a valley ahead and a dark shape at the far side. A fortress that appears to be built into the side of a mountain. This has to be the ancient fortress of Lord Cypher. You know, a place like this, it's so grand, in the middle of nowhere, ancient, it must have a name. It does have a name. You saw the name in the Codex Cypher as you were reviewing it. It is called... The Verza House. And we'll find out why that name still haunts my dreams next week. So this week, we are talking about Warforged as we continue our series on playing character races. Yeah, we are taking a turn back to our roots with a race from Eberron. So normally when we do this series, you know, it's, oh, how are you going to play a half-orc? How are you going to play an elf? Uh, These are races that we don't really need to explain because one they're in the player's handbook in 5e and two everyone who knows anything about fantasy uh, gaming knows what these things are but i think there might be a few of our listeners who don't really know what warforged are or aren't familiar with them so i think we'll just explain them a little bit yeah so warforged are living constructs they're not like a golem or a robot because they have free will um, they probably have a soul. Probably. Depends who you ask. Right. <laughs> they definitely experience emotions, um, though sometimes not as vividly as humans. But they're still not born. They're made of like living wood or living metal or living stone, kind of created in creation forges. So when you look at them, they're, you know, all about six feet tall uh, with genderless, inorganic looking bodies um that look the sort of like armored humanoids um except that like the armor is is their skin and, you know it's stone or and they're like sinews made of wood uh their faces are less expressive than most humanoids you know they don't really have noses uh their mouths are just sort of slits uh yeah. because they don't need to eat or breathe or sleep Right. They also are typically immune to poison. They can't have energy drain. You know, they don't get exhausted or paralyzed, those types of things. Yeah, they're built for war, so they can survive in harsh conditions and live through injuries that would kill most more organic creatures. So basically, it's a race of Iron Man, if Iron Man's suit was just Iron Man. Hey, we'll we'll get to reflavoring later, all right? Okay. <laughs> All right, so what's the history of Warforged? As we alluded to, it's from Eberron, but uh, where did these come from? Yeah, Warforged are actually the youngest, as in in the, in the real world, youngest race that we've covered yet, because they debuted in 2004 along with the Eberron, 
along with the Eberron campaign setting in 3.5 Dungeons & Dragons. It was one of several new races in this uh, new setting that Wizards of the Coast introduced. Later setting books included some different, um, what you might call, base models of the Warforged. There was the Warforged Scout, which was, you know, more like um, halfling-sized uh, and was more dexterous. There was the Warforged Charger, which was kind of dumb and a big brute. And then you had prestige classes like the Warforged Juggernaut, which was basically a Warforged that turned itself into a tank. And the Reforged, which was basically a Warforged that turned itself into a real person. Right. You also had the Landforged Walker, actually, which was the Warforged Druid, which is one of my favorite things. It was, I'm a Warforged, but I turn into animals. And, you know, maybe those animals look like Warforged versions. Maybe they don't. But I'm pretty sure in 3.5, that was just called the Dinobot build. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and then in 4th edition, they all got updated for the Eberron Player's Guide. Um, But they were a little bit streamlined. They didn't have all the status immunities and resistances to healing that made them seem like golems in 3.5. They were much more like regular humanoids. Now, in 5th edition D&D, they only exist so far as an Unearthed Arcana write-up. But if you've seen that, you know that most of the options in that particular document were kind of underwhelming. You know, the changeling wasn't that great. Um, the Artificer definitely wasn't that great, and it's, that's been rewritten, you know, one or two times. Keith Baker has said that, you know, he doesn't really like the Unearthed Arcana Warforged write-up, and he proposed an alternative on his uh, blog that we'll have a link to. Yeah, that's at uh, keith-baker.com. So this is a little bit different from the rest of the entries in this series because this is the first race we've talked about that doesn't actually have official stats. So... Um, whichever set of stats you end up choosing for Warforged and, and you know approving with your GM, we'll be able to focus a little bit more on the story of Warforged. Yeah, so speaking of which, Warforged do come with this uh, racial story that, that's sort of built in, especially if you're playing in Eberron. If you're playing in like Forgotten Realms or something else, then um, most of the books offer ways to incorporate them without all of the backstory that exists within Eberron. Yeah, wizard made it. Whatever. I mean, that's that's how you make regular people, right? Basically, half yeah. orc. I mean, that must be how you get half orcs. That's how you mass produce them, anyway. Yeah, fair. So in Eberron cosmology, Warforged were created as soldiers during a continent-spanning hundred-year conflict called the Last War, which is basically like Eberron's version of World War I slash World War II. They were created by House Caneth, uh, which is one of the dragon-marked houses, and, and basically like, you know, a continent-spanning megacorporation in their own right. Uh, and they were sold to all sides, basically, to serve as soldiers. So after the war ended just a few years ago, all of the Warforged were granted personhood, so rather than being soldiers or property, they are now people, at least legally. And they were freed from the armies and sort of sent out uh, into society, um, able to forge their own destiny or wander aimlessly, depending on their personalities. Yeah, so they're all, uh, you know, bodies built for war and minds that have about six years of experience, all of which fighting and taking orders. <laughs> yep. They've known either the order of the army or the chaos of battle, and they're wandering around mainstream society trying to find their own way. And of course, they're dealing with the resentment from all different types of survivors in the war because they were sold to all sides. At the same time, though, remember, they're they're not um, golems or robots. They 
they have emotions. So they're survivors themselves because for the vast majority of them, all they've done is fight in wars and see their compatriots die or been forced to kill at the orders of people who essentially they were sold to. Right. Yeah, I mean, they, they effectively formed a slave army for basically every country. And then at the end of the war, they said, well, I guess Warforged are actually people now. You're free. Now we see that that kind of was bad for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, thanks for the freedom, but also, like, could you throw me a bone here? No, because you don't need to eat or sleep. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I guess we don't need to give you land to grow food, and we don't need to give you clothes. Yeah, it, it, this leads to a bunch of open questions for Warforged themselves, right? You've only known battle your entire life. What is it that you want to do um, now that the life that you know no longer is necessary, right? Like, how do you proceed? And how do you feel about what you're owed for the things that you did in battle or what you owe to others for the things they did for you? Mm-hmm. Do you even have a soul? Does does that even matter to you? What is, is a soul? Really? <laughs> <laughs> you can always get other people's right <laughs> souls are cheap all right so shane um whether you're playing a warforged in eberron or you've ported a warforged over to a different kind of campaign setting what are some reasons that you might want to think about playing a warforged uh they are tough so if you want a tough character Warforged are your guys. Uh, they have a constitution bonus in every edition and usually some immunities, which make them pretty hard to kill, um, makes them hard to keep them down, and it also gives them a chance to repair or heal. Yeah, uh, in some editions, the healing magic doesn't work as well on them, but they can use uh, repair spells or um, other kinds of like more tech-oriented magic. And since they don't sleep, you just sort of stay up all night and repair yourself like a star wars droid right they're also good for melee spellcasters. so one of the abilities that they had in some classes was enchanting their own bodies um so they can make themselves in effect magical arms and armaments yeah and since they were so naturally tough um it kind of offsets some of the drawbacks of being a squishy spellcaster. you know when you're a six foot tall like war machine it's fine if you know you've got a d6 hit die Warforged are also great if you want to play the kind of character that is exploring humanity from the outside looking in. Because we've talked about this a bit before with like, you know, half works where, oh, you know, I have one foot in, in, you know, human society and one foot outside of it and I don't know where I belong. But Warforged are just so far outside the mainstream that you can basically take take one or two full steps back and then look at the whatever prevalent society is in um, the setting that you're playing in and judge it or be completely confused by it or operate in ways that will confuse regular people in that setting. If you think about it, it's basically like in Star Trek, the Spock or the Data character. Maybe you want to become more like them. Maybe you want to move away from that. But it's a nice opportunity to sort of weigh the pros and cons of what other people consider normal. Yeah, I mean, it's also just like a question of what does it mean to be alive? Like you said, you know, a half-orc or a half-elf might have um, a question of what humanity is, right? What does it mean to be human? Um, or where does your, you know, what does it mean to be an elf? Or what does it mean to be an orc? Uh, Warforged just are trying to understand the most basic things like, what is life? Am I alive? <laughs> really? You know? 
Um, those kind of questions. And, and also like, what is a soul, right? What does that mean to me? What is that even important? Does that matter? Um, you can kind of get into some of the like questions of artificial intelligence, even within a fantasy setting. Yeah. I love the idea of like warforged poets who are like, okay, so the way that traditionally life is spoken about is, oh, all beings with breath, but, but I don't have breath. Does that, does that mean I'm alive? Is that just a metaphor? Like, right. How literally am I supposed to take this? Which is ultimately to say, you are going to be something that is very much uh, not human, right? Possibly not even alive, um, depending on how you answer those questions. So that's going to be a pretty far departure from what you typically get in a fantasy setting. Yeah, so if you want to be the character that doesn't want to analyze humanity or like living beings if you want to be the character that is nothing like those at all you want to move as far away from that as you can you don't want to be optimus prime who embraces you know these small fragile humans you want to be hk47 you want to be the one who has no humanity who doesn't care at all who whose favorite tactic is uh drop a cloud kill on myself because (sighs) i don't care i am immune to poison right Warforge is the character for you. Yeah. Uh, on that note, right, when you get into the sort of like antisocial kind of trends or or some of that stuff, like there's also a lot of fertile ground there to talk about the issues that, that persist for a character after combat, right? Uh, because mm. Warforge were born, bred, created as soldiers without any thought to anything else, you know, they, they suffer from the fallout of combat. So PTSD, having dealt with the threat of death or the death of their, you know, friends, um, you know, there's also a way to play them as Spartans, right? Um, a, a race of Warforged, like a group of Warforged who see death as just the, the inevitable, um, and the culmination of duty, right? So death means nothing to you, and you kind of get that nihilistic point of view as well. Yeah, or that's a great backstory, and now at level one, you are a warforged who is moving away from that and then dealing with the things that you did in war, the things that you did when you felt like um, life wasn't really something to be valued, and now maybe you had a change of heart, right? metaphorically speaking. <laughs> I also think Warforged are great if you are new to role-playing and you kind of want to ease into it. I think there's a certain kind of player who likes the fact that you can role-play someone that you're not and be like really gregarious and, and loud and uh, friendly to be the, the party face when like in real life maybe you're kind of shy. But there's also a kind of player who is kind of shy and isn't necessarily comfortable sitting at the table being a totally different person. So as the Warforged, you can be in character in the game and still be a little bit quiet, a little bit standing in the back, observing at first. I think also this can be a good opportunity for someone who's maybe neuroatypical. Um, Obviously, you can sort of dive headlong into role-playing, but if you want to play someone and not have it be out of the ordinary to sort of... um, look at things and and analyze things while not necessarily being a part of the way that everyone else is interacting, this is an opportunity to do that. Normally, when we talk about uh, races, we also want to focus on their stats and what those abilities mean to the character. But because we don't really have a final set of stats, 
uh, I guess the key is just whatever abilities and, and stats you end up with as a Warforged in your game, think about how those abilities set you apart from others, right? What does having extra constitution mean for you versus um, other races? What does that immunity to poison mean to you? What does it mean that you don't understand healing magic? You have specialized repair magic, right? That, that not every human healer can understand. Yeah, so physiologically, obviously, you're very different from the vast majority of other people in the world. You're not made of flesh, which also means that you feel pain differently. So Warforged have this ability where they can detach or reattach appendages. Um, you can you know, remove a, a hand and then replace it with uh, an axe. Captain Hook, you can be Captain Hook without necessarily having lost that hand, right? That hand is still there. It's just sort of sitting by the wayside waiting for you to use it again. Right. Uh, you can embed items inside your body. You can, you know, inside your forearm put a wand, which means no one can see it. It's concealed. No one knows it's there. It also means no one can steal it from you. Right. It also means it's it's just sitting there inside you. Yeah, then you've also got things like you know, you don't have to wear armor because you are armor. Uh, you know, your armor is part of you. Um, what does that feel like to to not have the soft weak spots that the rest of your companions might? Yeah, I, I like the idea that, you know, a fighter has a favorite sword, but a warforged might have a favorite fist. You know, like this is this is my spiked fist that I wear on Wednesdays. This is my good fist. <laughs> you, I'm going to hit you with my good fist. Hold on. And and when you're thinking about your body, do you does that mean that you feel more connected to it because you have so much more choice about what it looks like um, or, or what it feels like or what its purpose is? Or does it make you feel less connected to it? Like if you needed to, if you had an arm stuck in a trap, would you just detach it and, and walk away and not be bothered or... Or would would that actually be worse for you? Because you know it it's yours. Yeah. Also, keep in mind, Warforged don't eat, breathe, or sleep, uh, which is a pretty stark contrast to most humanoids, uh, other than elves. Um, you know, so you you got to kind of wrap your head around why do we need eight hours of downtime every night? You know, why do you close your eyes and ask to get ambushed every night? Yeah, that seems dumb. And most humanoids. Like, sure, sure, they need to do these things, but they also seem to find them really enjoyable. You know, people seem to really like eating food and tasting food. They seem to really enjoy, like, a deep breath of what they say is fresh air. Um, they, yeah, but they are much less grumpy when they wake up. Uh, <laughs> it, right. it, is it strange that they're doing all these things? Is it gross that they're doing these things? You don't have to eat. Do you miss out? Are you thinking, oh, that's an experience that like, I wish I could have. I, I wish I could put organic matter in, in my mouth, right? You speak, so you have a mouth, but it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. You don't have a throat. So right. do you, you're like Cookie Monster, <laughs> sort of, I guess. Do you want to put food in your mouth? Do you, do you want sensory organs to be able to experience that? Or is that, is that just like the, the strangest, grossest thing you could think of? It's just a frivolous waste of time. Oh, I don't yeah. have I don't have time to dedicate to that <laughs> building those circuits. I don't I don't need them. <laughs> uh, that there was also practical applications with that too, right? Like 
being underwater isn't a whole lot different from being in air to you, mm-hmm. right? There's just no restriction there. Um, being in a hot desert or being in a in a humid jungle, right? Those are sensations that don't really mean a whole lot to a warforged. There's less of a threat um, because of you know a reliance on water and, and food. Yeah, remember you're made of like living wood and metal and stone, so it's not it's not like you rust. So, right. you know who you're not worried about jungle rot. You're not worried about trench foot. Yes, humanoids enjoy the eating and and the breathing and the sleeping, but you take that away from them for just a very little amount of time, and they do poorly. <laughs> it also means because you don't have to do all these things that you've got a ton of free time. Like, what do you do with that? You don't shut down for eight hours. You know, you don't turn yourself off. You're you're not a robot. You are just awake. 24 hours a day, all the time. Do you read? I know canonically some Warforged just go do another job because they're bored. Right. So yeah, I had, I adventured with you guys. Okay, but now I also have an eight-hour shift in, in a warehouse where I pack boxes. So in terms of physiology, canonically there's no gender associated with a Warforged, but a lot of times they have chosen genders uh, based on their sort of interaction within society. So you need to ask yourself, right, do you care? Is that important to me? And do I identify strongly with that? Or is it just, you know, a a convenience for the people around me? Yeah. Uh, Did I feel the need to choose a gender? Or did other people just begin addressing me as if I had a particular gender and I just kind of went along with that? Right. The other thing that was, I think, a lot more prevalent in 3.5 is that Warforged can live indefinitely while they're inert. So if they were knocked unconscious but not killed outright, they would just lie there until someone came along and repaired them, which meant that they could lie there if they weren't discovered for years and years. It's a bit like uh, Fry and Futurama getting thrown into like a stasis chamber you know you're, you're in stasis and if someone does uh wake you up years on uh, how strange is that i mean i think it's a great backstory it's a great origin story you know what have you been doing since the war literally nothing i've been you know sitting at the bottom of a lake right yeah that's the that's the other thing is like your greatest fear is no longer death right it's like uh being trapped somewhere where you can't escape but you also can't die mm-hmm also, Warforge had no maximum lifespan, so it meant they were longer lived than elves, but just never really had to face the concept of death if they didn't take risk. Yeah, if you think about it, you have this entire race who has spent the vast majority of their collective experience fighting, but that's the only thing that, that ends them. You know, you would think that it would be much safer to say, okay, I don't have to eat, breathe, or sleep. Um, I don't. I don't need companionship. Uh, I could just walk out into the middle of nowhere and just be safe and alone, right? I can be the hermit, but I don't need to worry about getting old and eventually dying out there. I'll just live on top of the mountain for 10,000 years. Well, you're going to have to do it alone, though, because the other restriction on Warforged is they don't reproduce. Yeah. Uh, They're only created in Creation Forges uh, or or whatever the source is in in your um, sort of setting that they've been added to. Uh, but the point is they do not randomly, you know, mate and create new Warforged. So you will never pass your 
genetic material or your experience or those types of things onto something that that shares that bond with you i guess that's probably a good thing because if they don't die of old age population quickly booms right i I mean (laughs) warforced rabbits right (laughs) that doesn't mean that you can't have something of a warforged family unit though right if you were born from a creation forge and, and taken under the wing and advisement of an older warforge, something like that. There's, there's no reason you can't have the same relationship. You just don't have the um, genetic connection. Oh, yeah. I think warforged who embrace their emotions probably seek that out very readily. Right. right. But in some ways, you know, you'd, you'd have to question, is that fake? Is that artificial? Is that just as real as, as a real sort of father-son or or father-daughter, mother-daughter kind of relationship? Like, is that a family? Like, what is family? What is family when you you can't reproduce? Obviously, family is the person who you pass on your favorite fist to. Right. (laughs) It is now time for you to go adventuring. Right. I've enchanted this. It's my Wednesday fist. Exactly. Um, I, I do like the idea, um, the, the no maximum lifespan thing, right? Like I like elves and, and things that can live a long time specifically because they're really great at holding grudges. <laughs> and I, I think a warforged who lives forever it would be great at um, holding a grudge, not just against uh, one person, but, you know, their offspring. Yeah, that, w- that would be interesting in a, like an Eberron, you know, a few hundred years advanced, you know? Um, that's sort of one of the interesting things about Eberron is just because it's so so recent after the end of the last war and because Warforged were a late addition into the battlefields of the last war, um, there just aren't any Warforged that are that old yet. Yeah, what happens in 100 years when um, <laughs> it, it, it's still very much like a, a feudal slash Victorian society, so I don't think there are really term limits uh, typically an elected office, but if you if you elect a warforged mayor, um, what happens if they just keep winning for 150 years? Yeah, you don't want to appoint a warforged to the Supreme Court. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that seat's just locked up. <laughs> also, like, uh, you know, World, World of Darkness, vampires, um, the older ones are always more powerful, but part of that is because they've had, you know, 10,000 years of compound interest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So in terms of culture, Warforged are interesting because they don't have any native culture um, other than their time that they spent in the army of a given nation. Um, So they might have a a bit of a culture of that nation, uh, or at least the military culture, but otherwise they don't have anything of their own to go back to. So you have to ask yourself, is that a limiting factor, right? Or, Or do you just imitate what's around you wherever you happen to land at the end of the war? Right, and as you're adventuring around in a game and you're encountering new kinds of cultures, do you just start copying them? Do you start picking and choosing and saying, Oh yeah, I like, I like that. Um, give me a little bit of Christmas. I like Hanukkah too. Kwanzaa looks cool. Um, yeah, yeah. We're just going to wrap all that up. Cause well, I mean, and, why not? <laughs> and I want to look for colorful legs. Yeah. I love that. Um, or do you go, nope, none of that is for me. In fact, I want to start a whole different thing all on my own. Warforged for Warforged. Wednesdays are for fists. Right. One thing that Warforged do tend to share is their naming convention. Um, they're often utilitarian or action-oriented. 
uh, in our Eberron game in Morning Glory, um, our Warforged character was named Bastion. That's because he was so hard to kill. You guys found out. Yeah, he was very hard to kill. <laughs> and this also uh, predated Overwatch, so they stole the name. <laughs> yeah, I think we talk about this a lot with races that you know have multiple cultures. And with Warforged having no culture, it's sort of the same issue is okay, many of them were given a name and and those names were often based on the task that they had to do in the army, you know? So if, if you were the front of a squad that you know, always took point, maybe your name was Striker. And if you always kept watch at night, maybe your name was Watcher. And maybe maybe you're like, yeah, this is me. This is what I do. I'm really good at that. And that's why I'm, an, I'm part of an adventuring party. But maybe also you're like, no, I don't, I don't just want to watch. I also feel and I think and I read and I write. Right. Maybe you. Maybe you're like I. D- I don't want a utilitarian name. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make up my own name. So there are sort of three general factions within Warforged society, if you can call it that. the The usual Warforged is just trying to make their way on their own, right? Trying to find some purpose or some way to get by in society after the war. Then you got the Juggernauts who are eschewing all the trappings of being an organic an organic being and embracing their construct nature. They basically want to be giant tanks. Yeah, and then there's the Reforged who are doing the opposite. They're embracing the emotional side of being alive, and they're trying to emphasize the living aspects, um, you know, rejecting the construct nature. So in most fantasy settings, another thing that as a Warforged you're going to run into is that all these other races have gods, and they have gods who look like them. But there aren't any Warforged gods. So you know that, you know, Warforged can be clerics, they can worship gods, and they can, you know, cast uh, divine magic that way. It it works fine. Um, They can be raised from the dead, although whether they have a soul is sort of still up in the air. But do you want your own god? Do you want one who looks like you? Uh, I remember I was playing in a 4th edition Tolis game. And um, I had to make up this whole different backstory about the Warforged being sort of like the survivors of the Metal Storm and Kim. But the whole reason that my Warforged paladin was out there adventuring was he wanted to uh, achieve so much glory that he would ascend to godhood and become the first Warforged god. Yeah, uh, well, it sounds a lot like the Lord of Blades. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. So in the Mornland, uh, the Lord of Blades is sort of the uh, big bad <laughs> that you could potentially run into who's leading a this small army of his own warforged uh, sort of continuing to build himself up to become effectively a warforged god although some rumors say that they're just building a giant body for their own god maybe right. maybe they'll just figure out some way to animate it yep. the iron giant i guess <laughs> <laughs> so we touched on this a bit but in terms of family ties you don't have parents, you don't have siblings, you don't have children. So it's probably pretty likely that the first family you would have experienced would have been that squad in the war, made up of other Warforged. Yeah, but since the war, you know, you might choose to adopt. Also, Warforged could be adopted. I could totally see, you know, a Warforged being adopted by, uh, like, a human sergeant, right? Um yeah, and I can also see Warforged wanting to adopt, and especially not necessarily humanoids who might judge them, but like a Warforged who has dogs and cats, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, it's also possible that Warforged have experiences with ostracism. Um, you know, they don't, they're, they're relatively new to existence, um, and they also don't look like any of the other races on the planet. 
So it's going to be hard not to have experienced some sort of awkwardness or weirdness uh, as a result. Yeah, even if you yourself might think that you're not awkward or weird at all, you're one of these reforged who feels like you really understand emotions, maybe even more than, you know, most humanoids. You still have to, yeah, deal with those humanoids. (laughs) And then, of course, there's romance. Um, You don't have children, which is, at least as far as you can tell, the driving impetus for this whole romantic thing that all other humanoids seem to do. Right. So even if you do get a handle around those kinds of emotions, um, what does it mean if you're going to have a, a till death to us part relationship with another Warforged when no one knows if either of you is ever going to die of old age? Right. So also want to think about how Warforged interact with other characters in your setting. So the first question to, to think about is how common are other Warforged? Are you unique? Are you one of... Um, you know, a faceless millions of Warforged, will people who you meet even understand who or what you are? Yeah, maybe they just think you're a shield guardian. You kind of look like a shield guardian. Right. (laughs) Uh, How do you interact with survivors of the war? If you're playing in Eberron, especially, every single person you meet remembers the last war because it lasted 100 years, which means that basically everyone you ever meet has seen quote-unquote people who look just like just like you you know other warforged kill people and probably kill people that they care about but the flip side is they have likely also seen warforged like you protect people protect people from their nation almost most likely yeah they actually probably probably pretty much anyone who fought on the war fought alongside warforged yeah, unless you're Carnathy, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just feel, you know, tender feelings for skeletons and zombies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're in an, adv- in an adventuring party, the other PCs, no matter how they feel about you specifically as a person, probably think you're great on the overnight watch. Yeah, exactly. And you also don't require a lot of rations. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, could we eat part of you? I mean, you're sort of wood. Well, maybe we could burn you for fuel, but you'll grow back, right? (laughs) You're also a great total party kill panic button. Um, If everyone is dropped by a sleep spell or an errant uh, cloud kill, it's probably the Warforge, or, you know, everyone drowns in a flash flood. It's probably the Warforge who's going to be the the last one standing and can hopefully revive everybody as long as you've treated them nicely. Right. There's also, keep in mind, some other races where you, uh, Warforge kind of might be stepping on their toes a bit. You know, uh, other creatures that are, say, made of living wood like a tree ant. Or maybe you get along great. Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, you make sense. I, I don't technically eat. Sunshine's good, though. Right. <laughs> uh, and I think, I bet Warforge would get along well with awakened animals. Because they don't fit in anywhere either, but they have they have intelligence that most humanoids don't expect. Yeah, intelligence, instinct, and naivete. Perfect. Yeah. So what are some reasons for adventuring as a Warforged? I think probably the most compelling one might just be you are searching to find out who you are. Part of that is experiencing as much of the world as you possibly can. But it actually could be like a literal, I want to go find the place where I was made. I want to go find the person who made me. Right. There's also a a strong uh, thread to be drawn for Warforged that feel like they have a responsibility to their people, to other Warforged, right? That want to 
form like either a Warforged nation or a Warforged kind of political function where, um, you know, they can be represented and, and have an equal say in the future of their nations uh, when they've been previously rather subjugated. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be a character who's always looking backwards, you can be one who's looking forward and trying to figure out what you want to become, you know, deciding, do you embrace construct nature? Do you embrace your living nature? Or do you strike some sort of balance? Yeah. And then there's also just the pragmatic approach, right? Like, the only thing I've ever done with my life is fight. This is a good way to make to take advantage of the skills of being good at fighting. I'm going to go into adventuring because at least I get to hit somebody and I understand how that works. Meditation through fists. Right. <laughs> so to take a mechanical turn for a moment, um, when you are playing a Warforged, uh, it's interesting to note that there are a couple of skills or like things that are important to most adventurers that are less important for you. For example, swimming. Because you're not in danger of drowning, and if the water's not that deep, you can just walk on the bottom of the river. Right. Also, you're probably like 300 pounds of stone. I don't really know how good you would be at swimming anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, certain skills like survival, um, some aspects of them can also be less necessary right like it's not super critical to be able to forage for food or to be able to get yourself firewood or to be able to you know set camp those kind of things uh, as a warforged though there are still obviously some uses um, like tracking and that kind of thing yeah it's actually probably more useful in systems that have more granular skills where you're splitting out, you know, swimming and jumping and climbing. Cause obviously jumping and climbing are still important and, you know, tracking your direction is no direction. Right. I guess that's important too. Right. And I highly recommend that every single Warforge take perception or whatever skill is similar because there's literally zero reason for you not to stay up at night and just be the only set of eyes or an additional set of eyes. Right. As a Warforged, you also have sort of an interesting relationship with magic items um, or just equipment in general even. Because of your, you know, mechanical nature, you can just embed components in your body. Yeah, when you're picking loot, also consider how will this feel when it's part of me? Do I like the way it looks? Does it match my face? Yeah, I like the idea as a GM of giving magic items to the Warforged that are just magically enchanted pieces of other Warforged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's the type of thing that, you know, uh, the PC's character would wear, you know, utilize and not be mortified by. Like, I, I like the idea of it's just like a finite number of great Warforged parts. You're just collecting them from all the great Warforged past. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's not weird, right? These are interchangeable parts. Um, this is the adamantine jaw of a different Warforged. Right, yeah. It's kind of your, your walking trophy collection. Yeah. <laughs> and then there are also special magic items, uh, at least in Eberron, called docents, um, that uh, are intelligent items. They're sort of small spheres that Warforged can embed into their throats that are uh, that carry small bits of knowledge from like a previous uh, generations of Warforged or other uh, ancient societies, which are a really great way for GMs to introduce a plot hook that is literally right in the character's neck. Yeah, I also like, um, you know, the infinite wisdom that you gain is it's bad to smoke. (laughs) (laughs) 
or else we have to implant this in your throat. <laughs> you can call it that just, one a common magic item. This <laughs> Warforge is always in these PSAs. He just right. never ages out of the role. <laughs> Do you want to have a docent embedded in your throat, kid? Don't smoke. <laughs> so, as a conclusion, like... I, I really like the concept of Warforged. I know that they're sort of controversial. Um, they're one of the things that people who don't love Eberron like to point out as um, anathema to fantasy uh, in some ways because they're kind of steampunk or sci-fi-ish. But I, I gotta say, if the whole point of having these strange fantasy races is that they become a mirror through which we view our own society, Warforged are ideal for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like them a lot more than Dragonborn. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing is there's there's already so many strange races that are built into D&D. Like, in some ways, like, Warforged being a blank canvas are kind of a welcome change for having these very, like, specific and drilled down, like, social hierarchies built into certain races and, and you know, the exoticism, like, of, you know, cat folk and those kinds of things. Like... It's sometimes it's nice to just have like, oh yeah, there's just Warforged about. And they don't feel strongly about that. <laughs> they're they're a blank canvas for you to paint whatever you feel about the world upon them. Yeah. And also they can't be furries or scalies, so bonus. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what are they? Stiffies? Oh no. Oh. Oh, you just created an entire new fandom and I hate you. <laughs> and, and and a thousand memes were launched. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you hear that, Ishan? That's the sound of my Warforged collecting trophies off of that Dragonborn. Well, then... Should be over soon. I'm going to need to re-roll a new character because my Dragonborn is taking a dirt nap. <laughs> Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building uh, an iconic Warforged from Eberron lore, one of the coolest NPCs built into the campaign setting, if you ask me. We're building the Lord of Blades. Yeah, he's a semi-mythical warforged leader who's rumored to be building an army in the Mornland. You know, where it's much harder for people who have to breathe to live. Yeah, he just kind of runs around meeting warforged, inspiring them with a purpose, you know, to kill all non-warforged, and then inviting them to uh, help him become more dangerous. So he was actually statted out by one Keith Baker in Dungeon 111 where he was a Fighter 2, Artificer 5, Warforged Juggernaut 5, which means he's level 12, which, again, remember, in Eberron is extremely high. Yeah, there's not really any any NPCs in Eberron that are statted above, like, level 15. So in porting him over to 5th edition, there are a couple things that we have to keep in mind, not least of which is the fact that we don't have an Artificer that we can actually use. Right. So, Ishan, what is the build? It's Eldritch Knight Fighter 11, Forge Cleric 7, War Wizard 2. Okay, I think this is a, a rare usage of Eldritch Knight, but I'm, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. 
Well, Fighter's getting us three attacks, Action Surge, Fighting Style, Second Wind. We also get uh, proficiency in con saving throws, which is going to be great for those concentration checks. And then when you combine the Eldritch Knight levels with the Wizard levels, you're going to get second level spells and third level slots. Because the Lord of Blades, what he does um, is he takes a big weapon and he runs up to you and he slashes you with that weapon until you die. And it's really hard to get him to not do that because he's also enchanted his own body to be a perfect weapon. Right. (laughs) He's a living weapon, if you will. Yeah. So from War Wizard, we get some low-level utility spells and rituals, but more importantly, we get that uh, level 2 ability, the uh, either plus 2 to your AC or a plus 4 to a saving throw uh, as a reaction. And as long as you have a reaction to spend, there's no drawback for doing it. Yeah, because you can't cast a spell other than a cantrip, but that's fine. You're just going to attack three times instead. Exactly. Uh, so it gives you sort of a, a mini shield spell to use as necessary to bump your AC, and it can also be used, um, you know, you, you get to know what the target is, uh, so if you need a shield spell, you can up your AC fully with the plus five. Right, and you can flavor this however you want. You know, these low-level wizard spells can be artificer infusions, you know, that you prepare ahead of time, little, you know, parchment scrolls or potions or something that you apply to your armor. Also, remember that the Lord of Blades has, you know, enchantments on on his body. That's not really a thing that you can do in 5th edition because you're sort of relegated to one um, concentration spell, but the... Uh, arcane deflection from war wizard uh, really sort of nicely emulates that yeah i also like the idea of being a uh, the lord of blades just having like a huge like goalies blocker from like a hockey player (laughs) and so when you swing at him he just like just his left hand is just a giant piece of metal actual metal fused onto him and he just smashes it away right like his shield is just his hand (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> like a crab, like a giant right. crab. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like a fiddler crab. <laughs> so I think um, Eberron Purist might take uh, issue with the fact that we're giving him some cleric levels here. But keep in mind, it's a forge cleric. And also remember, we don't have Artificer. But one of the things that Artificer did in uh, third edition D&D was it didn't have healing spells, but it had repair spells. But now these days in fourth edition, and I'm sure in fifth edition, there's no healing difference between humanoid char- like regular humanoid characters and warforged so all you need to do as the lord of blaze is to only use these healing spells on warforged which of course why would you ever use a healing spell on someone who's not a warforged you're a right. horrible <laughs> genocidal racist exactly <laughs> and also they probably were at one point too <laughs> but you get the wonderful cleric package of course bless guidance shield of faith which shield of faith actually canonically was an, art- an artificer spell anyway Right. Um, You get cure spells, which obviously you'll use as repair. And then you can also give yourself a plus one bonus to your AC or to a weapon that you're carrying. And then at later levels, you're going to get automatic resistance to fire, which canonically was the enchantment that the Lord of Blades put on his armor because he's practical. Uh, And then an additional plus one to AC. (laughs) Might have been born in a forge, but Mama didn't raise no fool. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not getting melted down for scrap. <laughs> not today, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to become one of our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. 
So you can visit patreon.com slash totalpartythrill to get access to extra content and TPT merchandise. And while you're there, you can also find the Character Creation Forge Codex, which includes every Character Creation Forge build we have ever created and was brought to you by our patrons. Once we get to $300, we will do you the favor of reviewing the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. Uh, Do you the inconvenience, really, of listening to us have to review the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. (laughs) We'll just probably spend, you know, 20 minutes of it uh, talking about how you can cram Warforged into Forgotten Realms. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And how to drop Tabaxi. (laughs) And Dragonborn. And Dragonborn. They're all dead. Oh, the terrible Dragonborn genocide. (laughs) Yeah, it's the scale plague. (laughs) All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be talking about how to deal with those pesky NPCs who have power over you for some reason. And we'll be talking about fealty. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Beast of Burden. Well, that's it for episode 135 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 